0: Thank you for joining us for this week's 908 message. 908 is a contemporary, student-led ministry based out of Concordia St. Paul. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We hope you join us some Wednesday night and are blessed through the words of our speaker. Thank you very much. Well, good evening. I'm Dr. Mark Cushman. I'm a professor in the theology department, and it's a pleasure to be here with all of you this evening and to sing and to worship with you. We're going to be focusing on an Old Testament passage, Ezekiel chapter 47, in a little bit. We'll get there. And it describes the vision that God has for his people and how God is going to remake the earth. How he's going to remake the world into his new and good creation. And one of my goals or hopes for tonight is that you're able to see this in a more vivid detail... I'll be drawing a little bit from some of our experiences in Israel. There are several of you who are with me on a trip to Israel. So I have a couple of pictures from the Dead Sea to help give you the the description or or the picture of what this looks like. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice at the Feast of the Tabernacles, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Have you ever thought about this bizarre image? A river of life flowing from out of you. Does it even sound appealing? The image of a river, though, seems to be very important to God. The image is used about 150 times in scripture most often as a picture of spiritual life. And there is good reason. Israel is a desert country where rivers mean one thing, life. When Jesus speaks of this central metaphor for our life with him, the river is grace. The river is gift. To desert people like us, the river is life. We don't know much about the Garden of Eden, but we know this a river ran through it. Genesis 2, verse 10. A a river watering the garden flowed in Eden, and everybody in Israel who hears that verse knows what that means. That's life. That's grace. Beyond Genesis, other references to a river will bring tears to your eyes and hope to your soul if you let it. Where the river flows, life will flourish. The waters are dried up. You are going to die if you don't find water. And that's us. That's me. That's every human being. To be cut off from the spirit of God means a life of perpetual, unsatisfied desires, spiritual dryness, emotional, and even physical death. So now to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 47. God gives a vision to his prophet Ezekiel, displaying how the water flowing from the temple will give life to everything. So we'll look closely at this amazing vision, this amazing promise in just a moment. About how God will bring life to the driest of areas and to a sea so devoid of life that it's called the Dead Sea. So here I have just a few pictures of the Dead Sea to help paint the picture for you. Two important historical details before we get to Ezekiel 47. The first is that when Ezekiel is writing, when God gives this vision to Ezekiel, the temple is destroyed. The people are in exile in Babylon. There is no temple. But in the vision that you'll read in just a moment, there is a temple. And it's a very dry, dry area, as you've seen. But there's the Dead Sea. Let's back up just a couple of slides here. Good. And then forward. Alright, so here's a bunch of us by the Dead Sea. You do in fact float on it, which is quite exciting. So for many of us today, the Dead Sea is a cool place, right? We had, those of you who were there, did we not have a lot of fun when we went down to the Dead Sea? So we experience all the joy and excitement of seeing the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea has another uh, advantage for at least many people. Some of us bought beauty products, if you go to the next slide, from Ahava. And so this is what the Dead Sea is to us today. It is a place for tourism. It's a place for beauty products. All right, but now let's go to the next slide. But at the time of Ezekiel, the time of Jesus, several years later, the Dead Sea was called the Dead Sea for the very obvious reason that nothing lived there. And you see here in this image, it looks maybe like rocks or like sand, but that's actually clumps of salt. The Dead Sea is a 34% salt solution. It is very, very salty. And the hotel said to us, do not take our towels down to the beach because it destroys them. Destroy your own stuff, not ours. (laughs) And the Dead Sea then was this, you know, basin in the middle of the wilderness where everything flowed in and it represented just complete loss, complete deadness of everything. So, two things. God's people are in exile, the temple is destroyed, nothing lives, and second, nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Alright, let's go to Ezekiel 47. Now let me read this here for you. Then he brought me back to the door. So there's an angel who appears to Ezekiel the prophet. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. Now there's a lot of directions here. For the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. The main and most important piece there is that there is a temple. And the river or the water of life is flowing from that temple... Then the angel brought me, Ezekiel, out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Now here's the fun part about this passage. It's just trickling out. Going on eastward with a measuring line, or with a large tape measure, in his hand the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. So he's making his way out there. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was now knee-deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist-deep. Again, he measured another thousand, and I'm out of cord. (laughs) And it was a river that I could not pass through. I can't get any farther. He could not get past it, right? For the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And the angel said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. It enters the dead sea. That's the sea that's referenced here. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh that 34% salt solution will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. The Dead Sea will have living fish in it. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. So everything will live where the river goes. There are many areas in our life where we are spiritually dry. The distance between the life without God and the life lived with the holy and righteous and perfect God. The first gap that we become aware of is when we look and see, here's God and here's me. The first gap that we become aware of is when we see, here's God and here's me. There is this gap between us and it's caused by sin and it's a huge gap. That gap we all know cannot be bridged by human effort. It takes God's action in Jesus Christ to bridge the gap. In short, it takes God's grace. Yet even with God's grace, many of us still act. Here's the problem. We still act as if there's a gap between me and God. Only now the gap is between me as God made me to be and me as I exist right now. Many, many, many people still think this gap is one I am supposed to bridge by direct effort. It's about trying harder to follow the rules. A lot of people think that they can close the gap if they just be heroic in their spiritual efforts. I'll read another book. I'll listen to another sermon. I'll learn some new disciplines. I'll serve more. I'll work harder. I'll try to be nicer to people. You hear about somebody who gets up at four in the morning to pray. Okay, does anyone get up at four in the morning to pray? Does anyone even get up at four in the morning? Only those of us when we came back from Israel, we were getting up at four in the morning. But suppose you hear about someone getting up early in the morning to help bridge this gap between what we think we should be in our life with God and who we actually are. In any case, suppose you hear about a person who is working very hard to pray more and you feel guilty because you think you don't pray enough and you resolve to do that too even though you're not a morning person even though at four in the morning you are dazed and confused and foggy and grumpy and no one wants to be around you at four in the morning. Even Jesus doesn't want to be around you at four in the morning. But you think, well, this is hard and exhausting and miserable, and I don't like doing it, but it must be God's will for my life. It must be spiritual. And you keep it up for several days or weeks or months, but not forever, and eventually you stop. And maybe the cycle begins again later with new resolve when you hear about some other discipline that someone has undertaking enough to make you feel horrible about yourself. This is just what so many people in our churches and what so many people and students on our campus sometimes feel. We experience this feeling of feeling guilty, so we try harder, and we work at it, and we work at it, and we work at it, and we feel fatigued, and then we give up. And then we give up for a long enough time that we feel guilty and the cycle starts again. And we work and we work and we work. We get fatigued and we start over. And I felt that tonight was maybe a good time in our academic life together to talk a little bit about feeling fatigued. I don't know about you, but I at least am feeling a bit fatigued a few days before break. Our life as students, your life as students, my life as a professor is tiring. And our spiritual life too often becomes this same type of expectation. Feel guilty, work hard, get fatigued, give up. But what if Jesus really meant what he said? I can go ahead to the next slide, I think. What if Jesus really meant what he said? That the Spirit of God is like a river and flowing all the time. What if your job as a follower of Jesus is not to try harder or run faster or get up earlier or rev up your emotions? What if God really is at work in every moment in every place? What if, in a sense, my job is to learn simply not to do those things that close me off from the Spirit? Instead of needing to do something else, what if it's about how I keep myself aware of the rivers of living water that are already flowing through my being? Paul puts it this way in his epistle to the Ephesians. And in some ways, the spiritual life is just this simple. Just don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit is already at work. God is bigger than you, He is stronger than you. He is more patient than your failures. He is committed to helping you 24 7, so just don't get in His way. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. In other words, the free, enlivening, gracious word of God gives you life, as Jesus says. This is good news for us. He washes you over with his grace. I'll give you an example, which doubles as a metaphor for how we can both experience this free, free and grace-filled living today, and also how it teaches us a little something about our identity in God. When you visit places around the world, you bring your passport. Most countries stamp your passport when you enter the country. Have you experienced this? Some of you have traveled, right? You get a stamp, right? But not in Israel. And I can explain, or you can ask those who are with us in Israel why this is. But you don't get a stamp. You get a B-2 visa, which clearly says, keep attached to your travel document until exit from Israel. I think I have a picture of one here. In other words, don't lose it. Well, it just so happened that I discovered about midway through our trip, and I think only one or two of you even know this, that I had lost my B2 visa. Now, as a student, it might be hard to tell your trip leader that you lost the one piece of documentation that shows you are legally permitted to be in the country as one of the trip leaders. (laughs) It's exceedingly difficult to tell your fellow, much more experienced trip leader, the very good Dr. Schuler, that you have lost, that I have lost my B2 visa. The I still I think kind of feel this like dread just when I realized that I didn't have it and I had to turn and say, Dr. Schuler, like just don't have he's like no 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 just just go look look harder you must have it which means like how could a responsible trip leader like you <laughs> lose it but i had lost it and i felt terrible we worked on some solutions there's lots of comments on the on the internet about what to do when you lose your b2 visa but we couldn't figure anything out i knew i wasn't the only one who'd lost it we'd even seen some like hiking the next day was oh, I don't know. Was it you, Sophie? I don't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say who it was. We were walking, and someone else had a B two visa. Oh, it was, I know it was Alex. But there was someone, a couple of us, right? Someone had left a B two visa like out. Someone must have dropped it. It was, and so it was like, "Oh, look at that! They lost their B 2 oh, Who would ever do that? And I'm like walking behind them. It's like, oh, <laughs> goodness. So I've lost my visa. I thought the U S embassy could help me. I'm on hold for 45 minutes in the morning, and I finally give up. Okay, they're not going to be able to help me. So what am I going to do? I'm quite concerned about this. As it turned out, there was a small Israeli tourist bureau not too far from our hotel. So early that morning, after I waited on the phone forever with the U.S. Embassy to not even talk to anybody, I went into this place, hopeful, that I'd have a word of good news. I walk in the door and there's two police officers with machine guns standing there. I'm like, oh, this is not the time to admit that you've lost that most important piece of document, most important sheet of paper. So but I go to the guy and I say, hey, I lost my B2 visa. There's a friendly older older gentleman there. I lost my B2 visa. What am I going to do? And he says, well, do you have your passport? I'm like, of course I have my passport, but I don't have my B2 visa, and I lost it. He said would you have your passport? I said, yes, I have my passport. My question is, how do I get another B-2 visa? Because it says not to lose it. And I had lost it. And he said, as long as you have your passport, you'll be fine. Just don't lose that. (laughs) I turned back, told Dr. Schuller, he said it'd be okay, I'm good, I have my passport. In my moment of dread, I needed to hear a word of good news. I needed to hear a word of assurance. In short, I needed to hear a word of grace. I needed to hear the words, you'll be fine. And in a very real way, these words from this man at the Israeli tourist office were words of grace, words of assurance to me. And it did something immediately to me. Immediately, I was less concerned about my security situation or what could happen to me and I was reminded of my identity. I had my passport, it would be okay. On another level though, this story illustrates the much deeper identity that we have as God's beloved children. Note how the words spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of John are really words of grace and assurance and remind us of our identity. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. How is it that rivers of living water flow from within me? How will my anxiety and dread and spiritual dryness turn to rivers of living water? Because Jesus has given us his word. Because Jesus has said so. He says, you'll be fine. He says, he'll quench our thirst. He will satisfy the ache, my ache, your ache... ...for real spirituality. Jesus will turn my too often... ...Dead Sea-like faith... ...into real life-giving faith. And by making this statement in the Gospel of John... ...Jesus makes two astonishing claims. First, he implies that he is the temple. Jesus is the temple that we read about in Ezekiel 47. And second... He says that that river that starts as a trickle from the temple flows into a gushing, gushing river that's going to sweep over us. And it comes out of you and me and gives life and grace to our world. Yes, you, Christian friends, have your passport. You have a real identity, and that identity is in Jesus. In baptism, we enter into this story and we experience the refreshing grace of Jesus as living water gushes over us. Your baptism is your passport. It gives you a new identity. You are part of the family of God. And in Jesus, you have life, and you have salvation. Rivers of living water flow in you and through you. In the middle of this busy week, before spring break, when you are feeling worn out and exhausted, when you have days that painfully remind you of your shortcomings your failings, when you feel spiritually dead, when you are parched and stuck between a dry desert and a salty dead sea, when you lose your B2 visa in a foreign country, hear the word of God in Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams made glad the city of God. There is a river at the beginning of the Bible, and in the Psalms, and in Ezekiel, and in the Gospel of John, And there is a river at the very end. In Revelation, John writes, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal, a beautiful thing in that day, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Of course, the water that flows from the Father, from the Son, down the middle of the great street in that city, right through the heart of the community of God, is the flow of life, of God's grace. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. This is how John recounts his vision in Revelation. Soaking up nourishment on the banks of the river, it flourishes in a most unusual way, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month. This is a remarkable tree. We do not have trees like this in Minnesota. We do not even really have trees like this in places like California or Florida. But these trees that John describes in his vision at the end of Revelation are fruit trees that give their crop over and over, month after month. Now, when anybody in Israel heard 12 crops of fruit, what would they think of? Most likely the 12 tribes of Israel. We, too, think of the 12 tribes and, of course, the 12 disciples. This is a reference to the people of God. This is God taking care of his people, of course. God would do that, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. God is being abundant and good with his people, with you and with me. But the next sentence is just as profound. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So let me ask you a question as we conclude tonight. Could the nations use a little healing today? Could North Korea use a little healing today? The Gaza Strip? Afghanistan? Iraq? Iran? Washington? Or let's take it a little bit closer to home. Could you use the healing of the nations? Your dorm room? Your classroom? Your workspace? Your apartment? Your home? Your neighborhood? Your place of service? Jesus says, this is your life. And a river runs through it. And it's not just for you. This grace is not just for you. Your flourishing is for the healing of the nations. The way of Jesus has become the way of the Spirit. And a river runs from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And it will run through you. Rivers of living water. Rivers of God's grace in our lives. The deepest longing, the deepest thirst that you have is one that only Jesus fulfills. The way of Jesus has become the way of the Spirit. May those rivers of living water flow way down for all of us who thirst. May it be true of us that a river runs right through. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the many, many ways in which you shower us with your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the identity that we have in you. We thank you for the life-giving water that flows through us because of you and your death and resurrection. And we pray, Lord, that this day, this night, this week, in the middle of this semester, that you would revive us, enliven our faith, give us strength and courage, and may we go forth as your people, to bring healing to the nations, to bring healing to this campus, to bring healing to the people and our lives. and We thank you, Lord, that in your spirit and because of your word, you indeed will fill us with these beautiful rivers, these rivers of grace. We pray this in the precious name of your Son. Amen. Thanks, Dr. Cushman. All right, so we're going to move into our time of prayer. If you've been to 908 before, you know that we really value um, praying in groups and taking advantage of the community that we have here. So um, definitely get together with a couple people if you're comfortable with that. And this time is yours. Thank you for joining us for this week's 908 message. 908 is a contemporary student-led ministry based out of Concordia St. Paul. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We hope you join us some Wednesday night and are blessed through the words of our speaker.